Hey guys, welcome back to the Backstuff Show. Today we have Paul Murphy on from North Zone. Paul is a classic founder turned investor. He founded Dots, which is a really cool gaming company, and now he's over at North Zone, which do loads of really cool stuff in the entertainment and gaming space as well. But I won't talk about him, he can talk about himself. So welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So Paul, I tell you, before we get kick off straight away, the way we start all of these, imagine we're on a first date, tell me about yourself and where you're from. First date thing, I gotta get out of my head. Well, see, I've been uh, kind of working for a little while now. I started off at Microsoft, I was an engineer, then moved into kind of tech and product and then strategy and worked on some acquisitions there. Nice, what did you, what did you acquire? Uh, well, I was, the, I was the sort of the, the guy behind the guy, behind the girl, behind the scenes, doing like memos and diligence and spreadsheets. But I worked on like the Skype acquisition was one. That's some Hollywood stuff there. Okay, you kept that quiet, nice. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, actually really fascinating to see kind of, you know, from board, I was able to sort of sit in board meetings and see that process top down. And yeah, kind of cool to see how big companies make decisions like that. Um, but anyway, left left that that sort of first stage of my career and then went into the, on the founder side, I actually joined initially a Spark Capital company called Aviary as their COO, helped uh, help pivot the business um, and we sold it to Adobe eventually. What did the business do? Uh, photo editing on, on mobile. So it was, we plugged a gap for Adobe that they, they had at the time. Oh, amazing. And, uh, and then, I, I, then I, I left and I sort of started companies. Um, so I was part of the team that started Giphy, the search engine that we sold to Facebook recently. And then after that, um, uh, similar timing, in fact, uh, Dots, which you mentioned, which is a game studio that we just recently sold to take This is amazing. So like, I, I want to really dig into this straight away, Paul, because this is some um, pretty sexy names you're just chucking out there casually. Um, so you, you, when you went in and you, so as a founder, what, what were you, what was your role as a founder? Cause you're not, you weren't, you, were you the CEO? Were you, what's your, what was your jam? What were you doing? And were you doing it with a team? Yeah. So, I mean, there was one stint I had pre Microsoft where when I was at university, I was, um, one of the co-founders of a company. We built a, a content management platform in, you know, six years before WordPress. Uh, so very early days. Wait, you just like, so, well, I mean, let's let's talk about that a little bit more because that sounds like a pretty cool story. So you're just at uni because a lot of our listeners, the students, um, so you're just at uni and you decide, you see this problem where the the content management for websites isn't good enough. Is that what it was? Or you? how did you come across that idea? Uh, well, there wasn't any. Uh, oh, right. Okay. So this, this is like early days. I don't know how old you are, but you, you may not have been on planet Earth yet. So it was, you know, there was literally no way to build a website fast. Uh, you had to hire these massive agencies like US Interactive and others. They charge you a hundred grand to build something that was nice. Um, my buddy and I were, you know, been coding for a long time. And so we said, let's just start building websites, paid for part of college. And, um, and then we started arbitraging um, sort of student talent uh, to get websites done. You know, we'd build them out at three times the price that we, we, we paid. Uh, for their time, and they were happy, and and then and then we started sort of productizing that over over time, uh, so that we basically built this CMS so that we could just build websites faster, but we charged the same amount of money, um, so our margins just kept growing, and it was it was classic, you know, we were technical, we didn't know what we were doing, um, you know, we didn't believe in sales and marketing, we just thought the product would sell itself, yeah, classic. and then and then kind of you know dot com crash came, and and we survived a bit longer, but ultimately sold it. For parts to one of our um, one of our competitors, 
Uh, and then I went back, finished my degree, and that's when I, I joined Microsoft. My thinking then was clearly I missed a few tricks uh, in that one, so let me go learn from what at the time was like the best tech company in the world. Um, and then that I kind of ended up spending more time than planned there, but that, that I departed and then kind of went back into the founder roles. So you got, I mean, you, you, I always say that um, your entrepreneur is a character type. You know, you're just someone who sees the, a problem in the world and believes that you have the skill set to go and change it. And if you don't have the skill set to change it, you believe that you can convince other people who do have the skills to do it. You know, I think that's, uh, I think it's a character type and you've obviously shown that. My, my belief is that, um, and this ties back to kind of what I do as an investor, but I won't sort of dwell on it too much. But if, if you really understand a problem, then you're, you, you can create a company that is valuable. It may not be a billion dollar company, but it, it always starts with understanding the problem. And so I, I have a, a really kind of negative reaction to people that try to solve other people's problems. Yes. Yeah. You have to live it. Yeah. Yeah, you have to live that problem. I love that. Do you think that there is an advantage to moving into a sector where, because there is this, um, this, this mentality where by, if you are heavily involved in something, yeah, you see so many problems with trying to fix it. You know, like, so pe that's why banks don't innovate. That's why people have been in the sector for a long time don't necessarily create new innovation. So seeing it from the outside, you might solve that because you have problems from another area. But then, of course, that naivety creates creativity and uh, innovation. But at the same time, it does hinder your execution if you don't really understand the problem or the sector. So do you think there is an advantage to having some of that naivety? Yeah, I think totally. I think, I think there's a difference between being a subject matter expert uh, or an industry veteran and being someone that understands the problem. So I'll give you an example. When we started Dots, um, you know, my co-founder Patrick and I, you know, we, we played games our whole lives, you know, we loved games, um, but we also, that was sort of part, part of us. The other part of us is we love design. We love things that, um, you know, that, that we can admire uh, aesthetically and, you know, high art through to just casual street art. Um, so it was frustrating for us that when we wanted to play a game on our phone, the only options available to us were games that looked like they were you know, casino games or kids games. There was nothing that spoke to us. And we curate all these other components of our life, yet there was nothing for, our, for us on our phone. So, you know, we're not game industry veterans. We happen to love games and play games. Um, we also happen to love the artwork world and design world. So we sort of put those two things together and built the company around that, um, around that concept, not knowing if there were many people like us, but we knew there was at least two of us. Uh, and then as we launched it, we realized there was actually quite a few people that wanted something that looked a bit different uh, in terms of games on their phone. I love that. I love that. I'm totally in on that. I totally agree with you. Um, not that my opinion matters, but I agree. Um, okay. So, all right. So you, you left there and then you started the Dots. You sold the Dots, what, a couple of years ago? We sold the company, check the date, uh, three weeks ago. What, what, so you were still going? Even when running's north side. No. So what happened is we the so the business was running for about just over five years um, when I kind of you know turned to my co-founder and said, look, I you know for me personally, like it's time to move on and do something. There was a driver to move back to London where my wife's family's from. Uh, we wanted to get away as far away from from Trumpland as possible. There was a bunch of things that meant that we were going to be taking a different kind of turn for our life. And um, I said, I'm happy to sell the company. Uh, there's, we had buyers at the time. Or if you want to run it and keep growing, I have full confidence that you'll create a more valuable company. And, and he chose the second path and 
I, you know, switched from CEO to board member and advisor and confidant and did my best to help him. And uh, he, in true Patrick sort of fashion, he over delivered and, you know, more than doubled the value of the company. And then we just sold it a few weeks ago. Okay. So he, it turns out that he, Patrick was actually the, uh, the real magic and you were the one holding back the business. Is that the moral of that story? That's the right way to tell the story. Uh, so he, he always was, uh, I mean, he built the first game, um, but we, I, I think in all honesty, we were a really good, you know, a good team. So the, he, he, I, I kind of brought a sort of business and marketing uh, dimension uh, and he kind of brought the technical and the creativity uh, and it just worked well. Amazing. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, I'm super jealous. Um, and congrats on such a great success and a great sale. I'm sure you're super pumped about it. Yep. So tell, so tell me, so you then decided to move into Northstone. Talk to me about, so what made you decide that you wanted to move into investments? Because, you know, like there's a lot of people who do it once they've been successful, you know, and they've in their own right. So what made you move into this? I mean, I, I was in this really fortunate situation where when I was in New York, I was part of this group called Betaworks. And it was that Betaworks is kind of a startup studio. So they were the initial investors behind Dots and Giphy. And um, what was so nice about that experience is I was able to work with literally a dozen companies at any given time. And a lot of the founders in the New York area did this as well. So you kind of got a taste for what it would be like to be an investor where you're sort of flipping between different industries and sectors um, and also you know, sharing problems that you've learned from one business to another. Uh, so I knew that part I would like. When I when I just told the, my board, by the way, North Zone is one of the investors or was one of the investors in Dots. So when I, I told North, uh, the board that I was going to be moving to London and um, not running the company full time, they were one of the funds that approached me and asked if I would consider investing full time. And I just I spent about seven months talking to various funds in London um, and then at the end of the day, the only one that would hire me was Northstone. So that's, that's how I ended up <laughs> love that. The only one that gave me an offer. Yeah. So how long have you been investing now in Northstone? So I've been investing full-time two and a half years at Northstone and the, but I've been investing kind of like, you know, angel and seed investing for about a decade. So what have you learned in this past two and a half years in Northstone? What have you, cause like there's this thing I always say to people like when, Investors are learning so much about the market every day because they always see the future. They're seeing the next thing that's coming through. So for you, what are you seeing now that's super exciting, super where, where everyone should be going? What's different now to when you first started doing it? Well, COVID. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, wow. It's, you know, I think it's been kind of understated and overstated at the same time. But when you step back, you know, like our industry is all about taking these external events and, you know, they become catalysts for, for things. And there's just, you know, as horrible as this situation is, there's never been a bigger external event, certainly in tech and maybe, maybe ever in industry. I mean, it's just, it's just enormous. So, um, you know, I think that there's, it's going to be a challenging time in a lot of ways. Personally, I think there's a lot of companies that are going to struggle. Um, I also think that this could be, you know, and I'm not saying this is necessarily even good for society, but this could be the biggest wealth transfer um, in the history of commerce uh, taking place from pick your industry over to tech. So I actually think we're, you know, we're going to be entering this kind of golden era and, you know, the sector overall is going to do really well. Venture capital as an asset class is going to do exceptionally well. And then I think there's some really, some founders that are going to have a lot of positive 
you know, successes uh, during this otherwise pretty horrible time. Well, we've certainly seen that. That's actually right. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay. All right. And so you specifically, now you're over in, what's your... What are you what are you investing in? What's your what's your jam? Like if someone's listening to this show right now and they're like, oh my God, I love this guy, Paul. He sounds like the best investor of all time. I want a founder who's genuinely coming onto my board. Like what what's your uh, what do you look for? Well that that would be great if that happens. I mean, I think um honestly, I, I you know, when I came in, I was like, Oh, I hear about all these really smart investors that have these deep rooted theses and they they sort of um, you know, write about it on medium and tweet about you know how the world's changing in the sector i kind of think a lot of that is 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 bs like i I think a lot of times people you know look to write an investment case for a company that they they want to back and then they kind of publish that investment case as if it that was the original idea and they were just searching for the company um i i really think the magic in our job is about finding exceptional talent um really amazing founders that um, like I said before, really understand a certain problem and are passionate about wanting to fix that problem. And I think that, you know, that for me has led me down the path of investing in a healthcare company in New York, a mobility company in Berlin, a, a live events platform in, in London. Um, there is no common thread from a sector uh, perspective, but in all cases, I've made about six investments. Every case that I've invested in, the founders are absolutely amazing they really really understand uh the problem that they're going after and they've just got this incredible product sense and so they're they're even their initial versions of the concept or of the product as rough as they might be are just really impressive um so that's that's kind of what i what i'm looking for um i i know i do my work i do my research and we do deep dives and on sectors but they don't typically lead to um a direct investment that's so interesting. I guess like, I mean, yeah, the one, the theme that I seem to hear a lot when people come on here is like, well, there's this thing at Textiles, isn't there, where they say it's team, 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 market, traction, idea, <laughs> in that order. And you're echoing that again. Like, I think when you come across, I guess for you guys, I guess it must be, you come across a founder or a team that really get it and really passionate about it. And you just, you know, they're going to make it work, right? You know, you've come into a few businesses, you've done a lot of businesses before, and they've all been quite diverse, but either way, you've made them word, made them successful, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously there, there's varying degrees of success in, the, in, in at least my personal portfolio. But in, in every case, what's, what's cool is you know that they're going to build a product that, um, a, that has an audience, that has a set of people that, because that, they understand the problem. So it kind of goes back to it. It's like, you know, maybe it'll be a, a $100 million company or, or a $200 million company, um, or maybe it could be a $10 billion company if the problem is big enough. But um, yeah, you're sort of focusing in on that, on that first piece on team. So what, um, what sectors are getting you really excited right now? Yeah, we had, uh, we had Phil O'Reilly on, on the other day from Draper Spree, and he just goes nuts about quantum computing. I can't even spell quantum computing. Um, but like for you, what's, like, what's the stuff that gets you really fired up right now when you see when a deck comes across and you're like, yes, come on, talk to me. So let's think about this. So for me, I mean, I, I 
when I left Microsoft, the last group I was in was the, it was called the productivity division, I believe it's at the time. So it was kind of all the sort of office productivity software. And that's, that's become a bit of a cliche in the venture world. People love, you know, investing in, you know, note-taking apps and things like that, new spreadsheets. Um, I'm not so much, you know, I've looked at a lot of those companies. I'm not so much focused on that, but I do believe that the metaphors that we've, that we've adopted over the last hundred years, 200 years around how we're meant to be working are, are a bit stale. And I think that, you know, new thinking um, should be applied as to how we work, both in terms of the software we use, the environments we work in, what it means to run a company or to have a company or even to be an employee. Um, so that kind of broad, you know, much broader than productivity, but that sort of, um, I guess, theme is something that I'm spending a lot of time on. Uh, that's probably where I spend most of my time, uh, to be honest. Outside of that, you know, I just like meeting companies and great founders. So, um, you know, I, I meet a couple hundred founders a year. Um, occasionally, you know, they they really, I feel like we really connect and then I spend more time researching that space uh, it's like what we did in, in healthcare for this company that I invested in. Um, and then, you know, I got I got really excited about the problem that they were solving, but I wasn't... Well, I got really excited about it as well because they, they deal with hair loss. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of your portfolio companies. So I'm particularly excited by uh, by that company. Nice. Well, they also deal with uh, acid reflux and migraines and yeah, it's... it's No, but I, I think, um, yeah, they've seen a lot of success with the hair loss products. Yeah, nice. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll reach out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I think it's really. I think it's a, it's a it's a great thesis. I like it a lot. So when you're um, so now look, you're you've been on both sides of the table, right? You've been an investor for a long time. You've been an incredibly successful founder. What are like? What's like? What are like the two biggest pieces of advice that you would give to another founder? So someone's listening to the show right now, and they're like, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to back myself to go and start a business. What is first of all? First, two questions. One, what is the first thing that you would do? If you had an idea, okay, that's the first question. The second question is, where do you see people wasting time when they start companies? When these founders come to you and they're like, you have wasted time doing this bit of your job. What is first of all? So what's that first thing that people should do? First thing they do? Um, well, I'm a product person, so I think they should, they should build product. I think that there's no substitute. If you have some sense of technical capabilities, you can build a product. And I think that's, I mean, we faked so much uh, when we were building products out of Betaworks with sort of human intervention that masters AI and stuff like that, you can just do it. You can do a lot um, just to see if there's any sign of life. And I think that's that's what I would say. Do do that at the outset. I, I think it's good to do research to find out what else is out there, so you're not going into it completely naive. But um, but I don't think you should spend too much time on that because you know if 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 you're experiencing the problem, even if there's a well-funded startup out there trying to solve that same problem. If you don't know about it, then clearly something hasn't connected yet. So I, I would say- I love that. I'm so, I always say to people, when people would come to me, I had the guy I pitched to the other day because they would uh, do some, some angel investing and they, they, uh, and they were like, oh, we, you know, but um, we don't know if anyone else is doing this. I'm like, if you don't know if anyone else is solving this problem, that means they're not doing a good enough job of it. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, because if they're good at marketing and they've really grown, you wouldn't. Like, we all know Uber exists. <laughs> yep. And and also there's there's another dimension, which is like, you know, timing is a is is a massive, is probably the most uh, important factor in success. So just because something's been tried before, if timing wasn't right, of course, you know, it won't work. But, it, you know, that same thing made again could work. Um, I mean, I think that was, 
yeah, anyway, that, that, that's something that I, I can relate to. I think the second question that you asked, which is, which is harder to answer, but I, I, you know, the theme that I, I see occurring time and time again is that when founders can't find product market fit, there is a point at which they should just sort of like, you know what, let's learn, let's shut that down, let's move on. Because there, there is nothing worse than wasting your time on something. It doesn't mean it wasn't a good idea. It may just mean the time wasn't right. But I, I, unfortunately, I have some, you know, some friends and some founders that I know that have, you know, spent five, ten years just trying the same thing, and it's like, ah, it's just not working. You know, everyone else knows it's not working. Please move on, because they're talented. I mean, I, yeah, um, yeah, we've all seen that. Some of us have probably done it. Yeah, I mean, it's. The, um, there's that thing like, no, 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 I'm the one. If I just keep going, I'll get there. You know, there's so many motivational quotes that you see on uh, LinkedIn with a guy who's digging a hole and then there's the diamonds just behind him and he's just about to, uh, he's just given up. And you're like, oh no, that could be it. Rubbish. Um, so question for you then on that, flipping it slightly. How do I know if I've got product market fit? What does that actually mean? People talk about it a lot. So this is the, this is the thing I, I, I feel most fortunate uh, to have as in terms of experiences is when you have it, you don't need to ask your question as to whether you need only to ask the question as to whether or not you have product market fit. When you have product market fit, you know, you have product market fit. And I think that's, that's the, the biggest learning that I had, uh, coming out of the sort of the eight years I spent building companies. We've probably built, oh, I don't know, 20 products. And the difference between dots and Giphy level of product market fit versus literally everything else was night and day. So all that stuff that we obsessed about, we're thinking, oh, there's like, there's this cohort that kind of likes this thing. And if we really like nail down that particular cohort, we can see this, this positive user behavior. And if we can just find more people like that, we've got a, you know, a business that's sorry, uh, valuable. Um, you know, like, you know, uh, if I was ever starting a company again, um, I just, I would just wait for it to be obvious. And when you say wait, so did you try it? So Giphy and the dots, did you just come or did you just keep experimenting and then you just got it? So Giphy, we launched it at, it was five or six o'clock at night. Mashable found out about it, wrote a little piece about it. Um, our servers literally melted that night. Uh, and then we spent the weekend trying to get the site up and running and we were dealing with 30, 40,000 concurrent users um, once that product got back up and running. And then it was you know millions um, a couple weeks later. With, with Dots, we had a million downloads in the first seven days, um, virtually no marketing spend. Um, it was just word of mouth and, and kind of some, some element of virality. And I know that those are both consumer products, so it's hard to apply that to a B2B setting. It's also not expected um, that those, those, you know, there's lots of examples where people have a much slower on-ramp. But the thing with, with Giphy and with Dots, but I'll focus on Dots, is before we launched the game, we gave it to our friends and family just to test and see how they were using it. And people like my wife, who never touched any product I ever gave her in my entire tech career, you know, she was playing this game 10 hours a week. We're like, okay, there is something special here about this product. And so I think, if that, so even if you take the million downloads away and you just say there is a user behavior that is exceptional that we're seeing, you, you know, um, that, that's kind of, that was sort of my point. Yeah, I like that. So you think that, okay, now just so we don't break the hearts of all the listeners who haven't had the same experience, um, 
can you still launch and not have a million downloads and then at some point find product market fit? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what kind of product it is that you're building. If you're building a mass market consumer product like we were, the response should be fairly overwhelming, I, I believe, um, because consumers are willing to kind of deal with a pretty bad product in terms of the polish and the finish and the onboarding if it really solves a problem for them uh, or if it's really exciting for them in some way. Uh, so I think the mistake I often see founders go down the path is, is you know, where they say, well, it's because our onboarding is not quite right um, or we haven't added the polish yet. So the, the UI is a bit confusing. Like people hack bad UIs uh, when the product's really good and they're willing to live with a lot of sort of discomfort. I mean, think about how bad, you know, the early versions of Pinterest were. I mean, the site was dog slow or Facebook even. It was blank pages, website went down all the time. Um, but people still used it uh, religiously. So I think for broad market consumer products, I think, yeah, it, it should be pr pretty obvious. If you're going into more of a, like your business where you've got a specific market, which, you know, it's not, you know, you'll, you probably will never have, you know, millions of downloads. You don't need it to create a multi-billion dollar company or a B2B company where it's more of a, like a SaaS, you know, that those lessons don't apply. I think that's a very different approach. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So yeah, for us, it's not about, it's not about the product. It's uh, ABC, it's all about the community. Like, you know, if you, once you have the, the product, no one cares. They just don't care about having people to play against. But this has been really great. Thank you so much for coming on. I think there's been some really great learnings there. Um, I mean, you've actually got my brain ticking about my own business, thinking about how we approach stuff. So thanks for coming on and, uh, and sharing your experiences. I think a lot of people are going to be very jealous, but also equally inspired. So thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for having me. And, and just, uh, you know, for, so everyone knows, I'm always more than happy to connect with, with founders. So whether it's a, a fit for Norson or not, feel free to reach out. <laughs>